With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oregon and Washington is acting like a college football playoff quarterfinal. Michigan has been absolutely dominant. And could we see the return of Travis Hunter to the football field? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, Ken folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step. No, thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to take a look at Indiana at Michigan and what does Michigan show or what has Michigan shown. Going to talk a little bit about North Carolina playing Miami and, well, the fallout of Mario Cristobal. And I want to get into a little bit of just what's going on in Boulder, as you very well know. I love talking about Coach Prime. I love talking about Colorado. But first, let's start with the biggest game of the entire weekend, and that is number eight, Oregon, at number seven, Washington. It's going to be an outstanding game. I think like OU Texas last week, this game is a college football playoff quarterfinal. Basically, you're playing your way into or trying to stay in the Pac-12 championship and put staying in the Pac-12 championship, getting into the college football playoff. You lose this one, and it's really difficult to get into the Pac-12 championship because the Pac-12 is so loaded. But this is also the start of what we've kind of seen coming for the last three weeks in the Pac-12 of it kind of eating at itself. They got a bunch of ranked teams in there, but they got to play each other, which means somebody's got to take some L's. Somebody's got to take more than one. And now we're finally going to get to see these really outstanding football programs go at each other in a meaningful football game against competition that we think is actually good, right? No disrespect to Portland State, but, you know, you're Portland State. There's not a whole hell of a lot we can learn from Oregon beating up on them. The same thing is true of Washington, though. I'm looking at that Arizona game. They won 31 to 24. I'm thinking maybe Arizona was better than we thought, which means that the bottom of the Pac-12 is way better than we thought it would be. And that might mean that the top of the Pac-12 is as good as we think it is. Now, Huskies fans, they claim that they have the Heisman winner at quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. He's averaged 400 pass yards per game. He's thrown... 16 TDs and just two picks, but now is the time for him to prove it, okay? He's going to have Jalen McMillan back. He's going to have Rome Odunzi back, and I expect him to try to complete a whole bunch of passes. Now, you got those dudes, and you got to stretch them against what I think is a really great Oregon defense and doesn't really get as much of its due because Bo Bo Nix is Bo Nix, right? But also because they got an outstanding running back over there Two, three, actually, if we're talking about Jordan James, Bucky Irving, depending on what you want to talk about with Bo uh, Bo Nix, what he can do with his leg. And then Troy Franklin is an absolute stud out there at wide receiver. 
But I'm also looking at this going, all right, what do we expect to learn from this game? Do we expect to see the Pac-12 champion come out of this game? I'm not so certain, but I think most of us are leaning in that direction based on what USC has shown us so far. We're going to talk about them going to Notre Dame here in a little bit, but the other part to point out here is that Michael Penix Jr. is the offense. He's the most important player. He's the best player at Washington. If Tosh Lapoy and Dan Lanning could put the lid on their passing, it's going to be tough for Washington to win because they basically don't have a run game to speak of, whereas the Ducks, the Ducks are complete, man. That might be the most complete football team west of the Mississippi when you talk about what their offense is capable of and what their defense is capable of. I got, they're going to have opportunities here as ball hawks to go get them, and they're going to have opportunities to go sack the quarterback. The ball will be turned over. It's just about who's going to win that turnover battle. The way that Michael Penix Jr. runs that offense, the way that Ryan Grubb calls that offense, I expect to see some outstanding plays made by that secondary at Oregon. It's about whether or not they can return the favor over there at Washington. Oregon's also given up 10 points or more only once this year, and that was the 30 that they gave up to Texas Tech at Jones in Lubbock. Other than that, they've just been dunking on people. They've scored 38 or more in every game they played so far. Now, again, outside of Texas Tech, they ain't played nobody, okay? I need the, the Tammy from Mogul music here. They ain't played nobody, Paul, because that's that's the only knock against them, which I find funny because nobody wants to bring that up when we're talking about Oregon, except when I say that they played Colorado and they beat Colorado by 38, and then they want to make Colorado into somebody. But as long as Colorado is beneath them, hey, look, uh, it's fine. They're good. All right. Now I can't wait to see you play somebody that is a top 10 team and frankly going to be the front runner for who we think is going to win the Pac-12 championship coming out of this game just because most of us are not all in on SC. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Oregon is also averaging 227 yards on the ground and 330 yards through the air. They can do it to you any way you want to get it. They're also really great at protecting Bo Nix in the passing game this year. Again, they're averaging 52 a game and it's been ridiculous. But they're going to face the real football team this time, and we're going to get to learn a little bit more about them. The good news is Washington, Oregon basically demonstrate that the Pac-12 is deeper than it has been for seven years. And that these are the only two teams that have made it to the college football playoff ever out of the Pac-12. The last one being Washington, 2016, and we all know about what Chip Kelly was doing at Oregon. So with the Pac-12 being deep and the ACC kind of figuring itself out, I don't know that it's as deep as the Pac-12, but it's certainly got a lot more teams that can win it other than Clemson. And we don't even expect Clemson to play in the conference championship, and yet that's a good uh, league over there. Other thing about the SEC is that they're not as deep as we once thought they were. I mean, Georgia beat Kentucky, who had a number next to their name and stomped a mud hole in and walked it dry, and all of a sudden I'm supposed to take Georgia seriously after Georgia's been sleepwalking through the first two SEC games of the year going down at half. I'm just not going to – I'm not doing that. First, you have to be perfect in our sport. Then you have to be dominant in our sport. I haven't seen Georgia be dominant this year save that one game. I would like to see Oregon Washington be dominant this year. I would like to see one of them just put the screws to the other one and say, no, no, no. We are going to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff and make this easy for us because that's what we want. We don't get a whole lot of opportunities for games like this when I expect them to take full advantage of it. And one of those teams is going, I think, to win the Pac-12. I, I don't know that USC can do this, man. To say nothing of, I think that if Oregon or Washington wins this, I don't see another loss on the schedule if they can get by, especially a couple, couple touchdowns here. Now, I'm going to go ahead and pick Oregon to win this game. 
just because I like their defense better than I like Washington's defense. And I like watching Bo Nix operate as a fifth-year senior and absolutely has that thing under control. Will Stein is coming as offensive coordinator and just made it go. Bucky Irving is an absolute dude. You know how I feel about Troy Franklin. I think they got the goods this year to go win the Pac-12 championship and make the college football playoff, but you got to beat Washington. On the other hand, Washington wins that game. I'm probably going to pick them to win the Pac-12. It's kind of why I'm out on USC, which is a great way to get into that game. Number 10, USC at number 21, Notre Dame. That game is really going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of fun because, well, uh, one, Notre Dame is favored. I understand Notre Dame fans are going, why? Well, I think you're the better football team. And I think most of us think that you're the better football team. And you're really tough in South Bend, especially against the Trojans, right? Run four out of the last five against USC in South Bend. All right? That's number one. But the also the other part about this is USC is the only program in FBS to put up 40 or more in every game it is played. You mentioned I mentioned that Oregon put up 38 against Texas Tech, probably the second best on that one. But it's also that they needed to score 40 to win football games, which is never a great feeling as a football fan. USC's defense has given up 421 yards per game and 41, 41, 28 to teams that we don't think are good, right? Or I should say teams that we don't think are conference championship caliber teams, Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State. They've given up 28, you know, to San Jose State, and we don't think that they're any good either. What I'm saying is, if you're picking against them, this is the time. Now, I used to wonder about this because USC's got the 76th ranked scoring defense in the country and 109th in total defense. I used to wonder why would people always point to Lincoln Riley's teams and say, I don't know that that's a college football playoff team. I'm an Oklahoma fan at the time. So you take it back to 2021, last year that Riley was at Oklahoma, they began the season 9-0. and but nobody wanted to believe that was a playoff team. Now, they end up losing a game and losing another, right? And they end up playing Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. But the point is, nobody trusts the defense. And now that I am not a fan of Lincoln Riley team, though I like watching his teams play football, I'm a fan at Oklahoma, right? That's the point. I get to look at this and go, oh, so this is how y'all feel about Lincoln Riley football teams, the ones that are going to put up 45, but also going to give up 40. Those teams don't win national championships, full stop. Everybody in the college football playoff can score, everybody. Not everybody can stop people from scoring. You know how I know that? Because I saw Oklahoma get into the college football playoff three times, and somebody stopped them from scoring, and then we continue to get scored on, okay? All right? Even with ridiculously large leads. I go back to the Rose Bowl. You're about to go up 31-14 at halftime, but you decide to squib kick the ball, Put Georgia back in the game, you lose that game, right? I'm looking at Caleb Williams, and I'm going, that dude has to be who he is for you to win football games. That's not a good feeling, all right? Like, put it this way. Strike one is you're giving up 41, 41, and 28, okay? Strike two is Caleb Williams makes USC a top 10 team, but he's a Heisman winner, the reigning Heisman winner. That's his job, <laughs> And you know what? He ain't always going to be perfect. He wasn't perfect against Arizona. As a matter of fact, he got outplayed by the backup quarterback at Arizona. Noah Fafita went for 300 yards passing and five TDs. I know that Caleb scored four and had 200, but you get my point here. You needed that dude to go win you the football game in double overtime on a gimmick two-point conversion play. 
It's great when you got Caleb Williams. It's great when Lincoln Riley has a generational quarterback. And by the way, it's been since East Carolina since we haven't seen Lincoln Riley with a generational quarterback. So if nothing else, the guy that he picks to be the starter is a guy that we all can just kind of slot as a first-round pick, if not the number one overall pick with Williams, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. Jalen Hurts fell to the second round, but most of us looked at Jalen Hurts playing Super Bowl going, okay, we see it now, and you know what Jalen Hurts did at Alabama. So that's strike two, is that without CW, you go in the way of live golf inside the NFL and reruns of The Flash. You get what I'm saying? This is a CW reference. You don't want to live and die on the CW. You don't. Mm -mm. You want to come up on the CW. You want to get the broadcast television on the CW. You're going to be on broadcast television against Notre Dame because, you know, that game's on NBC. I'm saying, though, you don't want Notre Dame to feel like they're going to come up on one against you in a year where most people expected you to not just win the Pac-12 championship but make the college football playoff. And even I am not all in on SC doing this. As a matter of fact, I just picked Oregon, right? So strike three on this one for me is beating Notre Dame is the expectation at the preseason. No matter what you thought about Notre Dame, you thought USC was going to win that game. Notre Dame walks in this one favored after taking two losses. Now, one we kind of let go. Ohio State's a good football team. The other one is Louisville. Now, I'll take that Louisville is 6-0, and and I'll take that Louisville is basically the heir apparent to what Texas Christian last year if you want to take it that far. Don't think they're going to make it through the rest of their schedule undefeated, but you get the point here. You can't lose that game and expect us to think that you're a national championship caliber team. But if Notre Dame is able to beat SC, what are we going to think about SC? Now, three strikes in California, you know, you don't want no three strikes in California. If you know, you know, all right? That's strike three. You can't lose to Notre Dame because I think a one-loss Pac-12 champion that is USC, it's not impossible because you got to go through the rest of the Pac-12, which is pretty deep, but this is certainly going to hurt you. Now, for Notre Dame, go get your bedazzled shillelagh back, okay? Like, if, if, if your pimp cane is over there in L.A., you should go get your pimp cane back, okay? Number one, because I understand there ain't a whole hell of a lot of games that Notre Dame thinks it needs to win, right? Like Oklahoma needs to beat Texas. Ohio State needs to beat Michigan. But this one, this year for Marcus Freeman, he needs to win. Okay, you got, you're, you're on the list right now. You got one of the two major gaffes of the season. Ten men on the field, trying to give yourself your own red card, playing down a man, goal line situation. And then Mario Cristobal said, hold my beer. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So go get your Shillelagh back, right? But take it from an Oklahoma fan that you want this one. And I'm really talking about folks that don't understand, that haven't been Notre Dame fans forever or haven't grown up that way or maybe are just new to this. You need this win the way that I needed the win against Texas. It is going to do so much good for your soul. Even with the two losses, you will feel so much better about beating not just USC, but a USC team that feels like it can walk over your dead body to the national championship. I know that nobody in a Golden Dome wants to play spoiler, but embrace it. Be the heel. For the Trojan fans, I'm trying to tell y'all it's going to be good. And if you win this game as a Notre Dame player, you got to feel really good about securing that Deloitte job post-graduation. You know what I'm saying? You know, it, you want to give yourself opportunities here. So go beat Hector and Helen, okay, and drink your Hennessy hereafter. Go get this W. Now, to do that, Sam Hartman got to get time. He, he, he got to get time. I was shocked 
to see Sam Hartman be put on his back as much as he was against Louisville. And I was even more shocked that he threw not one, not two, but three interceptions up there. I felt like LeBron James sitting on the throne talking about one, two, three, not one, not two, not three. You know what I'm saying? Get that dude a little bit more protection. And, and you know, let's, I know Jared Parker, you know, had Rakeem Cato. I know he knows what it looks like to throw the ball around, but you got seven in the backfield. And, and, and seven is a full load. And you got a Notre Dame offensive line. Let's not get cute about this. Run the ball. Hell, right? You don't want them to get the ball back for CW. You want to hold the ball for as long as you can. So run the football with that man. This is also the game that I think Sam Hartman was brought in to win, even though Drew Pine played his behind off in LA last year. Numbers here, 23 of 36, 318. Now, he had Michael Mayer, and I get that. But Sam Hartman is a better quarterback than Drew Prine, and I, that's no shade to Drew Prine. That is Sam Hartman's one of the best passers that this game has ever had. He's got the TDs to show it. But you got to give that dude time. I would like to see Howard Cross III go back to being Howard Holy Cross the third, right? I'd like to see him get the pass rush on Caleb. But again, it's about being able to protect Sam Hartman. Can you protect him from Solomon Bird? Can you protect him from Jabil Muhammad? Can you protect him from Bear Alexander? The one thing we know about the speed D uh, Alex Grinch runs is they're about takeaways and sacks. It means they're going to give up 500 yards. It means they're going to give up some TDs, but they're going to get into the backfield. You got to be able to keep your hands up and them off of Sam Hartman. Now, what does this mean uh, for the rankings for the national title race? It's fairly simple. USC is playing for a national title spot or a college football playoff spot. Notre Dame is not. Okay, I think a loss to this Notre Dame team does not help them in the least, but could hurt them a little more than we thought it would when until Notre Dame lost to Louisville. So USC probably needs to win this one going away for us to feel better, not just about their college football playoff uh, chances, but their chances of making the Pac-12 championship. So I'm going to pick Notre Dame in this game because I think at Notre Dame, Indiana, which is where Notre Dame Stadium is, not South Bend. Love that fact because even Notre Dame has to differentiate itself from South Bend, that they're going to show up. And they're going to show up in a big way because, well, right now, I still reference Notre Dame as the rental property of Matt Leinart, Inc. 3-0 against them, over 1,000 yards passing, 10 touchdowns, two picks. You know what I'm saying? Don't you, don't you want to take this from the dude that everybody's saying is the heir apparent to what Matt Leinart did in 04, 05? Isn't that what you want? I would want that. I would want that for myself. I'm just, I'm just saying. And Marcus Freeman needs to win. Like, I love how Notre Dame alumni and fans are getting behind that man, even when it's not always going the way that it should. And even when there's some decisions that are being made in the moment that you're going, no! I appreciate that everybody wants this to work because I was around for Ty Willingham, and I remember how that went. And I've been pulling for Marcus Freeman since he was defense coordinator at Cincinnati. I think he's an outstanding coach. I think he's a young up-and-coming coach at a really great program, and there's still a lot to play for here. But it's going to be really difficult to continue to defend him if you lose this game and you begin a skid. You win this game, I think we're going to be fine going into 2024. Marcus Freeman is our, as the head coach at Notre Dame. I almost said our because I'm invested in Marcus Freeman's success. But you need to go win this game. And you need to give Sam Hartman every opportunity to win it late in the game if that's what it is. Because against Duke, that's what it took. Sam Hartman went and won you the football game on a 4th 16. Then Audrey Estime said, okay, I'll go ahead and take care of this. Even as uh, 
Well, you don't play for a field goal in that spot. You play for six. I'm glad number seven knows what he's doing. Again, give the ball back to number seven. All right, let's go from SC, Notre Dame, to another big game that includes Pac-12 teams. Number 18, UCLA. At number 15, Oregon State. All right, this was on Big Fox at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe Brando and Spencer Tillman. Tulsa's own Spencer Tillman. Edson, Edison Highs. Spencer Tillman going to be on the call. I don't know how often people get to say that about Spencer, but I remember. I remember Spencer. All right. The Beavers were explosive against Cal last week, which I did not expect. I don't think anybody expected that. They had eight yard, eight plays of 20 yards or more against Cal. The reason I think that's a big deal is not because Cal is great, but because Justin Wilcox's defenses usually are. And they gave up 52 to Oregon State, who apparently had decided to put on big boy britches this season and showed that handing Utah its first L of the year, Cam Rising or no Cam Rising, comes back. DJ Uyunglele is still that guy. This game is also in Corvallis, which matters in the way that I think it matters for Notre Dame, USC. They won 14 out of their last 15 games in Corvallis, right? Now, I also think that one factor that goes against Oregon State in this is their star running back hasn't been playing like their star running back here of late. I'm talking about Damian Martinez. Damian Martinez is averaging 98 rush yards per game, but he hasn't had a 100-yard rushing performance in nearly a month. We got to go back to week three against San Diego State, okay, a G5 opponent. Now, they've got some really great flair from Deshaun Fenwick, but I think you want Damian Martinez to be that guy carrying the load for you, and the guy's going to pick up those third shorts for you, get those tough yards for you. But Fenwick is absolutely outstanding at the job. He had 101 rush yards against Wazoo, and I think he's 76 against Cal last week. But as much as I really like that offense at Oregon State, Danton Lynn's defense has just been lights out. I don't know how many people have been watching Kane Madrano play football, but you're going to see a linebacker weighing number 20 who is hell on wheels, all right? And Latu, Latu is a dude on that pass rushing front. Like, that defense isn't getting its due. It should have after what they did against Wazoo and Cam Ward. But the Bruins got a defense. And if Dante Moore can do something that he hasn't done in weeks, which is complete more than 56% of his passes, it's going to be tough for Oregon State to go get a W. I think this is the reason why this game is going to be underrated going in because it's just not sexy on paper, even though it's a top 25 matchup. It's really Dante Moore versus DJ Uyunglele if I was making this for TV. But since I'm making this for you when we're – this is a deep podcast. Remember that it's a five-star on a five-star. DJ Uyunglele, Dante Moore. Also remember that when Dante Moore is on and he is in rhythm, he is one of the toughest quarterbacks in the sport to, to stop. I really like watching him in the RPO scheme. I like his decision-making. He threw a pick six last week. He's making some freshman mistakes, things that I think will go away. But Chip Kelly has a great one over there. And even when I thought he was bad last week, completing 22 of 44, 50%, he still threw for 290 yards, which means he's not afraid to take shots, and he's got receivers. He's had five different dudes, or excuse me, UCLA has had five different dudes lead them in receiving over the last five weeks. And one of those dudes is J. Mike Studevant. And I love that dude. Outstanding wide receiver for them. Got to see Keegan Jones come on a little bit. Know what Carson Steele is made of. It's a good football team, and I think they're going to get to show that a little bit later on, but certainly need to show that against Oregon State. Keep themselves in the hunt for the Pac-12 championship because that's the big picture on this one. Again, if I was making this TV, that would be the other point to raise. Losing this football game is going to make it real difficult for you to play in the Pac-12 championship, if not impossible. But winning this football game and still being one of those teams left with a zero in the loss column 
that bodes well for you. And if UCLA can somehow get to the SC game undefeated, hey, man, we're talking about UCLA having an opportunity to play in the Pac-12 championship and make the college football playoff. Again, it's a deep, deep league. Same thing for this Oregon State squad, which has a loss to Washington State, and UCLA already beat that team, right? So, again, I'm going to pick UCLA in this, but Dante Moore has thrown three interceptions in the last two games. He's probably going to need to handle the ball a little bit better than he has in recent weeks. But I like what Chip Kelly has. I love watching Danton uh, Lynn's defense play. And I think they got playmakers on the perimeter and in the backfield at UCLA. And that's why I'm going to pick them. But again, would not shock me to find out Oregon State wins this game. They're that tight and that close. And the Pac-12 has got really great football being played through it from the bottom to the top. I mean, Arizona State's still a great football team. Arizona's a good football team. You keep going all the way up there and you're like, damn, I would take the Pac-12 right now against the SEC. I think it's that deep. So now that we have talked about the Pac-12 and its road to the college football playoff, I think it's more interesting to talk about the team that I have number one in the rankings and why you all don't think that they ain't played nobody. I'm going to tell you, they played Minnesota. They put 52 up on Minnesota. Let's hear P.J. Fleck describe to you what it was like coaching against that team. They're as good as advertised. That's that's. I said this uh, on the radio a second ago. I think they're the best football team I've seen in 11 years of being a head coach. I've never seen a football team like that, that deep. I'm not sure if this is true, but I was told this walking off the field. I think they traveled 75 people and maybe played like 74 of them. I don't know. I mean, they've got, they're one of the deepest teams, one of the best teams, one of the biggest teams, fastest teams, strongest teams, and they do not make mistakes. And they do not make mistakes. P.J. Fleck looks shook in that post game, And people are like, who, are, who is Minnesota? All right, it ain't about who is Minnesota. It's Michigan is doing what I demand of the number one team in the country because we're not handing out the number one. I'm not going to leave Georgia there just because. I don't give a damn what they did in Kentucky. I saw you need to come back against South Carolina, all right? South Carolina ain't nobody this year. I saw you need to come back against Auburn in Hugh Freeze's year one. They ain't nobody this year. Michigan? is the most complete football team in America. Offensively, defensively, special teams. They are different. And P.J. Fleck is an outstanding football coach, and he references 11 years as a head coach, where he's won 11 games in a season, where he's played in New Year's Six Bowl, right? Where he led Western Michigan into, my goodness, a New Year's Six Bowl appearance, and he was shook by this team. I think that speaks volumes about just how good Michigan is, but you know, let's put some numbers to it. They are giving up just 6.67 points per game. Okay. I don't care if you played the JV Palm Squad down the street, they'd probably go get six or more. Michigan has said absolutely not. And I love this stack from the Athletics. Max Olson unearthed this one 313 plays have been played against the University of Michigan's defense over six games. Not once had they defended a first and goal. That means nobody has managed to run a play inside the 10-yard line. Jesse Minter has those dudes on a different level, and they got playmakers everywhere. Like, we go to the offense because it's easy to talk about quarterbacks running back to wide receivers than it is to talk about linebackers, defensive linemen in the secondary. But take my point here. J.J. McCarthy is for Michigan what Bo Nix is for Oregon. And yet J.J. McCarthy, I think, is a more talented passer. 
J.J. McCarthy doesn't have to go win them football games. Neither does Bo Nix because he's got dudes. He's got Roman Wilson out there who is sneakily in the running for the Bolitnikoff Award because all that dude does is keep catching touchdown passes, okay? He's got Blake Corum in the backfield, and we have not said a single word about Blake Corum all year long because it's just been so dominant on defense. They got Donovan Edwards still back there. He's got dudes. They've got the deepest offensive line in the entire country. You heard Jim Nagy say so on this here show going into the preseason that they could have seven guys get drafted in the same draft, and he's never seen anything like that. And then you got P.J. Fleck, a man who absolutely knows from ball, saying, I've never seen a team that deep. To those that don't understand being able to play 74, 75 players means you trusted all of them, and there was not a single bit of drop-off. You weren't throwing people out there that couldn't defend themselves or couldn't go get touchdowns or couldn't make tackles. Everybody that they travel can play. You don't get to say that often in college football. You don't even get to say that often in the NFL, and they only got 53 men on the roster. It's ridiculous what Michigan is doing. And this is all when they're inviting Indiana for the big noon game. That's what Gus and Joel are going to call. But I'm also looking at this going, I don't care that they ain't played nobody. You know why I don't care that they don't play nobody? Because the college football playoff selection committee don't care that they played nobody. Okay? They're going to make the rankings, and we got to live with them. But even so, they didn't play nobody last year, and they ran through their regular season schedule like a knife through hot butter. It was ridiculous what they did against Ohio State in 2021, what they did against Ohio State in 2022, what they did against Penn State last year. I don't need them to play anybody anymore. And you know what? I have to live with that because it means that we're probably not going to see Michigan play somebody until next year. And when next year, that's going to be fun. They got Fresno State and Texas in their non-conference. Like, there's no dodging anything next year. We're going to see Michigan get it when it's coming to them next year. But you get my point here. Like, for me, that's the team that I expect to play in the national title game. And the team that really wants Georgia this year. You know, the way that we used to say we want Bama. I think Michigan is in a position now that they want Georgia. Again, all this without a single player that isn't a Heisman, that is a Heisman contender because they're so good at spreading the ball around at Michigan because they don't need the one guy to go win them football games, a la the CW, a la Michael Penix Jr., or even Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. We'll talk a bit about what's going to impact him here in, in the second half of the season, but I just think it's important to note that unlike Washington, USD, or even Florida State, Michigan has dudes on the numbers seven and a half yards deep and the best defense in the entire country. I fail to see how anybody can't rank that team number one. And of course, I'm going to kick them against Tom Allen's Indiana. For me, it's about name your number. Again, I don't need them to be flashy because I didn't need Alabama to be flashy in 2009, 2011, 2012, any one of these national championship team years that come before Lane Kiffin. Even then, they ran the football with Derrick Henry 400 times or whatnot. They are a great football team. And you know what? I think that team goes in as number one. They finish undefeated. Let's assume they beat Ohio State. Let's assume they win the Big Ten Championship. They're going to get the four seed. The four seed might come out of the ACC, which is why I think that it's really great that we get number 25 Miami at number 12 North Carolina this Saturday too because this is going to be as much a referendum on Mario Cristobal at Miami as it is North Carolina as a national championship caliber team. Okay. We did not expect this game to be a referendum on Mario Cristobal at Miami, but he did that. 
when he decided to run the football instead of taking a knee and running out the clock against Georgia Tech, Don Chaney fumbled a football. Haynes King picked the football up, went 74 yards, 25 seconds, whatnot, and goes win Georgia Tech's football game against Miami, spoiling Miami's undefeated season. I dropped it out of the top 25 for that, okay? But the AP voters think it's a top 25 team even so. So I'll be curious to see if Mario Cristobal still has his team, right? Because if you're playing for him, are you wondering what he's doing under duress now? Because he's done this a second time, right? He did this when he was at Oregon against Stanford. And it led to Stanford beating them in overtime. Now that he's done it twice, you got to look at him and go, okay, dude, who's your Shane Beamer? I say you're Shane Beamer because Lincoln Riley brought in Shane Beamer as the 10th assistant at Oklahoma primarily for these sorts of decisions to be made, calling timeouts, when we're running the clock out, the big coaching decision that needs to be made in the moment when your mind might be occupied or elsewhere. Perhaps he's thinking about the offensive line. could be anything, but they lost the football game. It's also the Hurricanes needing this win to not just stay in the top 25, but to have us believing they can still win the ACC because it's North Carolina. And then they still have left on the schedule, undefeated Florida State, undefeated Louisville, and whatever the hell Clemson will be, going into that week when they play them. I'm not sure what it is, but it's certainly a team that I think could beat Miami. So that's one, okay? I think Tyler Van Dyke's a great quarterback, if not. He ain't the best quarterback in the ACC because I'm going to talk about the best quarterback in the ACC, but he's certainly capable of beating up on that defense at North Carolina. But North Carolina, I hope y'all are not playing with Tar Heel fans' emotions because there's a whole bunch of big worms over there and you don't want to be smoky, Okay. Playing with play, playing with their Carolina blue is playing with their emotions, okay? They don't seem like the type to take it very well if you go into this game against Miami, a game you're supposed to win, and you lose it. Now, that said, Drake May went into this season as one of the two best quarterbacks in the sport. Now, whether or not he's still that guy, we can debate it, but I watched him last week, and he went for 442, Okay. He'll sling it, and they'll give him opportunities to continue to sling it. He's got a couple of running backs back there that I really like. British Brooks, I think, is going to come on in that spellback role, and we'll see what Nate McCollum can do. I'm really excited to see Tez Walker back on the football field. They're going to have opportunities to go score, and I think the way that Mac has built this program out is phenomenal. Like, North Carolina football is fun to watch. But it's also one of the last big games on the schedule for them, so you got to get up for this one. It's Miami. And then the next, and I believe the only ranked opponent they have left so far, is Duke. I don't know that there is a fan base in America that loves to beat the hell out of Duke more than Carolina. I, I, I can't imagine that Carolina would go into that game going, oh, we scared of Duke. No, 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 no. They want to go in that game dunking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will never forget Carolina sending Mike Krzyzewski out with an L on the biggest stage in basketball. I know Mac Brown would like nothing more than to spoil an undefeated season for Mike Elko's Duke as the head coach at Carolina. But this is also about not just playing the ACC title game, but who gets that college football playoff spot? Because right now we're talking about North Carolina, Louisville, Florida State, three best teams in the ACC. I don't believe Florida State is the best team in the ACC. I don't know if Louisville is the best team in the ACC. So this is an opportunity for North Carolina to make me a believer. Show me what you got. Because if Carolina goes in 
and hand Miami this L going away, they feel like a clear favorite. And by the way, they ain't got to play Louisville this season, all right? They ain't got to play Florida State this season. They would only see them in an ACC title game, in which case I think I would pick Carolina to go win that. But again, you got to get past Miami first, and then we'll talk. All right, those are the games that we are most looking forward to this weekend. One of those games uh, that I'm looking forward to is next weekend when Oklahoma comes back on the field. But when they come back on the field, Oklahoma will do it without Andrew Anthony at wide receiver. News broke late on Monday night that he is out for the season with a lower leg injury. But that really, while that really sucks, I need to explain to you why it really sucks. Okay. Andrew Anthony decided to transfer to Oklahoma after being on a college football playoff team in Michigan, really betting on what Emmett Jones was going to be able to do with him and for him at Oklahoma. He showed up, worked his butt off, and made his way into the starting lineup and in a big way. He is the Randy Moss at Oklahoma. He's the guy with enough speed and the hands to take the top off of any defense. He's got sub 4-4 speed, and he was putting that on display early this season. Averaging 15.8 yards per catch, 27 catches for 429 yards, and a TD this season. Oklahoma also has really majored in passes of 40 yards or more because he's so good. They lead the nation or tied for the lead in the nation with 10 passes of 40 yards or more because Dylan Gabriel is that accurate and they got dudes that can absolutely fly. But while Andrew Anthony was doing this work, Drake Stoops was still doing his work. Mr. Possession receiver, when you need it on third down, find Drake Stoops. He's going to catch the football. The same thing is true of a Jalil Farouk who might be one of the three best all-purpose players in the sport, and I'm including him with Emeka Buka and Travis Hunter. They also have sent a, a godsend in Nick Anderson, who has announced himself over the first half of this season. Nick Anderson is a true freshman who is the younger brother of Rodney Anderson, who is a Sooner legend. But him averaging 25.6 yards per catch and then catching the game winner against Texas was wildly unexpected. He's got 11 catches this year. Six of them are touchdowns. Reminds me of Marvin Mims, and you know how good Marvin Mims was at Oklahoma. So you couple, or not couple, you add Anderson to Stoops to Farouk to Gavin friggin' Freeman, Heritage Hall stand-up, and you still got a pretty capable wide receiver core. And I'm sure Andrew Anthony's going to be there on the sideline coaching those dudes up because he's a great football player and a great teammate. Very excited to see what Oklahoma does in the second half. Because unlike recent years, they got a defense at Oklahoma. And I'm so excited about that. Because it's been years since I can look at the Oklahoma defense and be like, ooh, this might be a top 10 defense, which also adds to the college football playoff expectation as to the national championship conversation. It really is almost impossible to win a national championship without a top 25 defense. 2019 LSU did it with a top 35 defense, but with one of the best offenses anybody had ever seen in the history of ever. Other than that, you got to talk about maybe Ohio State, wide, uh, Ohio State's Urban Meyer year, 2014, and Cam Newton at Auburn, who is the greatest football player of all time and can do anything he wants. So I'm looking at Oklahoma going, oh, top 10 defense. Oh, and a, an offense that can score. And 
a guy in winning time that I trust in Dylan Gabriel. I didn't know he had it like that until he showed me he had it like that. Needing to go get a score against Texas, not spiking the football at the goal line going, no, I got it. We're going to run a little fade post, but to, and now I'm going to put it up to Nick Anderson, and he's going to catch it like he was standing there the whole time. God, I'm excited for Oklahoma, and it sucks that it's a bye week, but we're going to be back. We're going to be back. Do you know who else is coming back? Travis Hunter. All right, all right. So we get to the part of the show where I get to talk about Colorado football, right? Now, the headline here is Travis Hunter returned to practice on Monday, and Coach Prime said on Tuesday that he has a, quote, tremendous chance to play against Stanford on Friday night. That's huge for Colorado because that is the return of your best wide receiver, if not route runner, and your best defender, if not cornerback in the country. Okay? So you get basically two players back with his return. And I know that Prime had talked about wanting to get him to the bye week or pass the bye week, but Travis Hunter kind of has a calendar all his own, and Prime is going to try to protect him. If he thinks that he's still injured, he's not going to play it. Right? And against Stanford, yeah, I don't know that you should need Travis Hunter to beat Stanford, even if you are Colorado. They beat Arizona State. It was not tidy. It was not neat, but they got the W. And they're at four and two. Like Notre Dame. Like LSU. You get what I'm saying here? Four and two. All right. That's number one. Number two is Shadur Sanders could need this dude at just the right time. Because while it has been cool to see Travis Hunter be that guy that Shadur could turn to in a gotta have it situation, Seeing Jimmy Horn step up, seeing Xavier Weaver step up, and then Omarion Miller, and lately Javon Antonio. They got dudes at wide receiver. They just can't run the damn football. Just can't run the damn football. I would like to see, A, be able to run the football. Alton McCaskill back there with Dylan Edwards now, along with Anthony Hankerson, right? Uh, yeah, and Sylveon Wilkerson. I would also like to see the offensive line keep Shador clean. And I don't know that that is in the cards because there was a fantastic stat that I saw, which was put out by the Athletics' Dane Bugler, who made note that Bo Nix had been pressured something like 14 times. Michael Penix Jr. had been pressured like 33 times. Shadur Sanders had been pressured 114 times in six games. And yet and still, he leads the nation in passing. Narrowly, but you get the point, okay? Somehow, he's completing passes while running for his life back there. And if the offensive line does begin to gel and they do begin to protect him, they might operate at a different level because you won't have to throw the ball so much. You won't have to go for 393 against Nebraska. You'll be able to run the ball for 200 and maybe go for 300. You know what I'm saying? You get back to something like balance. But I'm also reminded that Shadur is taking advantage of a spotlight that we knew was going to be on his pops, but we did not know was going to be on him. So in a year that is seemingly dominated by superstars in sports, Leo Messi, enter Miami, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and whatever it is that they are calling themselves, right? Coach Prime. I've seen Shadur Sanders be his own icon, and I really started to pay attention to this on Monday night when I'm getting ready for Monday night football like everybody else, and I see Devontae Adams walk in and flash the Shadur at the cameras. And then I saw that Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year and a unanimous All-American, ran up to a camera and flashed the Shadur. And then I remembered Rick Ross and DJ Khaled 
had made social media videos expressly to flash the Shadur and to wish that man all grace and luck. And then I remember, oh yeah, Tom Brady is his play uncle. So much of his play uncle that he gets to come down on him for driving a Rolls Royce. That dude driving a Rolls Royce around campus and it's $350,000 for a Rolls Royce around campus, okay? And then I was like, all right, cool. What's that watch you got going on? Why are, we, why are we talking about this watch? We're talking about this watch because, well, it's a very expensive watch. It's not a Rolex. As a matter of fact, it is an Audemars Piguet Royal Oak 15,500, whatever that is. It's got 30 carats VVS diamonds in it, and it's valued at about $70,000. Around his neck, he got dozens of carats of VVS diamonds. We was, those are, that stuff you say in rap music videos, but that's a 21-year-old with all the ice and all the bling that Drake could ever think to possess, and he driving a Rolls Royce around campus. Icon. Iconic. Grown men want to be on his team. Continue to watch Colorado football because it's entertaining and it's fun. But those that are getting tired of Colorado football probably still lease their cars, probably still drive their baby mama's car to work, probably miss some payments to child support. Look, if Deion Sanders Jr. has his father's business acumen and Shiloh Sanders has his father's swag, this dude should do or got all of his daddy's cool. And I am having the best time watching the Sanders family go do what it is they do at Colorado. We'll see y'all live right here Saturday night. Till then, this is.